0: hello and welcome to today's episode of entrepreneurs get visible where we're talking today about what it really takes and is it really possible for you in your business to scale to seven figures is it really possible for you to get to your first million and i'm really excited today because i am joined by sigrin now if you don't know sigrin or if you don't follow sigrin what you won't know is that much like me Pretty much everything around Sigrun is red. So, if you were watching us now, you would just see a plethora of red headphones, red microphones, red backgrounds, red earrings, red tops. So, we've definitely got this very branded behind the scenes visually, but you're only listening to the audio right now. So, welcome to the show, Sigrun. I'm so delighted to have you here. I'm so happy to be here today. So, we wanted to really dive into what it takes to get to that first million today because I know that this is something that you are passionate about helping particularly women to do and one of the things that as I've listened to some of your content so you listeners may not know that Sigrun has her own podcast which is titled The Sigrun Show which I highly recommend you go over and listen to you talk about you have this mission to help accelerate gender equality. And that one of the most important ways to do that is through helping women have their own wealth. So tell me a little bit about that. How did that mission, that sense of purpose come up for you? So I was
1: brought up in the belief that I could do anything. Uh, my parents instilled this belief in me. I'm very grateful for that. Also being brought up in Iceland was helpful. We are number one in gender equality. It doesn't mean that we're so great. It's just everyone else is so bad. But at the time I was growing up, uh, we still saw traditional roles around us. And even in my own home, I saw traditional roles. But when I was nine, we got the first female president in the world. And I realized I read the news. I was a, I've was been a news junkie since I was six years old. And I knew this was very, very special. But also the whole point how she got elected was special. She was not political before. She was highly educated. She had two degrees in theater and French. So totally not you know, a typical business or lawyer background like most people that go into politics or want to become a president uh, have. And then she was not married very unusual at that time. And she had adopted a daughter and that daughter was one year younger than me. So she was eight years old. Wow. Oh, I'm loving,
0: I'm loving my, my history of Iceland and also a, pol- a kind of run-through of politics. That's incredible. I had no idea that Iceland had the first female leader of a country. That's amazing. The first democratic
1: Democratic, elected. yeah. I think there were some others in the world that were... Um, tyrants or, you know, some (laughs) other background, but yeah, someone voted into the office, was the first one in the world in Iceland. And in addition to her not being married, having an adopted daughter, like these were all a little bit stigmatized things, you know, Mm. we were forward thinking, but still it was something that came up and she had just gone through cancer treatment. One of her breasts had been removed. Like, why do I know this? (laughs) You know, because it came up in a political campaign. And then uh, and that's
0: interesting she, in itself, isn't it? Because if a man was going through prostate in, yeah. uh, tests or or concerns, that wouldn't reach the presidential campaign. It just wouldn't. no, that wouldn't.
1: But you know, women are scrutinized way more than men. And you know, I noticed. I was only nine years old, but I noticed that this is not normal. And I think there was even like a debate on TV, and one of her competitors would ask how that could affect her as a president. That one of her breasts had been
0: removed, and I'm like, how could you possibly think strategic thoughts when with yes, yeah, <laughs> with one breast, <laughs> yeah, like it's like it's it's like half of your brain
1: has been removed or something. It's so crazy to think about it, but her answer is is worth quoting. I'm not going to feed the nation. I'm going to lead the nation.
0: Ooh. <sighs> oh, ah. You wonder, was that off the cuff or has she been thinking about that? Whichever way, I don't
1: know, but she was highly educated, a very smart woman. Mm. She got elected. It was not like a majority. I think only 33% or so voted for her, but everyone else got less. There was a lot of other candidates. But after that, no one dared against her. She was a president for 16 years. Wow. Yeah. And then even young boys would think, Can a man be a president? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So this did impact me a lot. She's still alive. She's 85 years old. I would have loved to interview her on my podcast, but um, she doesn't appear publicly anymore. Only special, special occasions, but that's something related to the government or the country. I don't know.
0: Maybe you could convince her if she didn't have to show her face. Maybe you could have a great conversation. Maybe. Maybe. That would be a dream come true. And so, yeah, so... She had a huge impact on
1: me. Uh, A few years later, we also saw Björk become world famous. Björk is only a few years older than me. She lives close to me, where I also have my apartment in Iceland. And sometimes when I go to the coffee place, she's there too. But you don't say anything, you know, you don't walk up to her. You don't ask for a selfie or autograph. That's like totally forbidden here. Well, it's just not what you do. This This is not LA. It's Reykjavik, Iceland. Uh, But yeah, seeing her, you know... Standing on stage, you know, I was I was too young to go to a concert, but 14 years old, she was standing on a huge stage and doing rock concerts, and just using her first name, which mm-hmm. I like to do too. Mm-hmm. And um, then at the similar time, there was a female political party started. This is fascinating, and I think uh, a few countries around the world could learn from this. So women were disappointed to not be seen by the political parties. And I think it was 6% of women in uh, politics, in the government, what do you call it? In parliament were women, 6% only. So women across the board, left, right, middle, came together and said, what can we do about this? they decided to put their political
0: views aside. You know, left and right is very different what people believe what they should do. I've got chills running through my body. Just the thought of what that actually looks like feels like incredible is the answer. Yes. And thinking of the current situation
1: around the world, Mm -hmm. it feels like left and right cannot talk to each other at all because the views are so different. But in this case, they decided to put these different viewpoints aside and say, We have something more important to do. We need to advance, you know, women in politics. We need more women to sit in parliament. The old political parties are not putting us on the lists even. Mm -hmm. There's a list of 10 guys you can vote for. And there's maybe one token woman, but she's put on number eight or nine. So she never has a chance to get into parliament. Mm -hmm. So they get together and they uh, found a female party. And the main agenda of the party is to increase the visibility of women in politics. And they actually existed for almost 20 years, maybe 17 years. I don't have the dates exactly, but it doesn't matter. And it went from 6% to 25%, the female participation in parliament. So p- political parties finally got it. They, were, they couldn't overlook this, that they also got their view. They, they were able to get into parliament and their agenda was just constant visibility of women. And of course, women rights and, and thinking about how women can get back to work after birth, you know, maternal leave. And, and later we have paternal leave. So now it's called parents leave. And all these things that they pushed forward in, gotta say, 80s, 90s, then the other political parties just took it over. And at some point, the female party didn't, have that purpose anymore? So they said, "Okay, we dissolve it." But there was no like, "Oh, we're going to continue forever." That was not the point of the, the party. Point was to affect change. Was affect change. And sometimes you have to do something radical to affect change. So this is all going on, and I turned sixteen, and I, starting to feel like he yeah, had. I have a voice and I got to do something, but you know, I didn't see like what's, I was not interested in going to politics, but I did follow very closely what this female party was doing. And then at the same time, I'm loving to make my own clothes. And uh, I had been sewing for a few years. I've been knitting for a few years and I do an advanced course in how to make my own pattern A dressmaker's home in the evening, so it's an evening course. And my school, my high school, my gymnasium was until seven o'clock in the evening. And my parents were outside in the car, driving me to the sewing course, and then uh, picking me up uh, 11 p.m. or midnight uh, to go back home. And I learned to make a pattern, but what I really learned was that women in their 40s and 50s were not making their dreams come true. They were using uh, their husbands and especially their children as excuses for not following their dreams. And with this climate going on, like, you know, advancing women in politics, I I think I was very susceptible to kind of like, what is this? Why, why can women follow their dreams? Can only men follow their dreams? Like what's going on here? What's wrong with the world? And I got very angry. What are we buying angry.
0: into? What are we buying yeah. into that we get to 40s, 50s, 60s, and we're resentful, bitter, a little bit twisted maybe about the fact we've not been able to live what we want. And so we're then trying to do it vicariously through other people and other things.
1: Yeah. And then either blaming People Mm -hmm. around us or surroundings or the environment or the political view or the economic, blaming anyone else except taking responsibility and say, well, I could do this. And it's also never too late. It's never too late to follow your dreams and make it happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, 50 is the new 40, 60, you know, 60 is the new 50. Like it's uh, we're all feeling and we actually are in many ways, younger than our parents. Absolutely.
0: One, I listened to one of your episodes, Sigrin, where Sigrin was being interviewed by Selena Sue on her show. So if you want to go find it, go. we'll try and find the link in the show notes underneath. And you were talking about how actually you came into the entrepreneurial space in your early 40s. And I'm 43 myself. And actually I've come in in my early 40s. And I don't at all feel... Like I'm too old to get started. All I can see is I could be doing something I'm passionate about for the rest of my life. If I lived yeah. to 90 or 100, maybe it wouldn't be in this form, but I'm 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 getting all of the wheels in motion for a life that I want to be living. And so often, and even now in, in society today, there are so many people who kind of say, oh, well, I'm 40 now. That's it.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I work with women that are, you know, 60 or 70 and they were starting something new. I said it's never too late right. to follow your passion. But I saw these women and I got very angry, not with them personally, but uh, maybe a little bit, <laughs> but more with society. This society was accepting the excuses from women and the same excuses they wouldn't accept from men. So I thought gender equality is also about what does society expect of the different genders and why can then women not make dreams come true? And uh, it made me truly upset that the children seemed to be such a big block for them. Actually, at that point, I decided not to have children and I still don't have my own children. I got bonus children (laughs) many years ago, 2008. I got two boys, three and four through my husband. But yeah, it it affected me. So like, if if I can't make my dreams come true because I have children, like, well, then I don't want to have children. But obviously later on, I realized, but I'm 16 years old and I'm very kind of, it's easy to influence me. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, these women are not right. They could have followed their dreams if they would made it a priority and they could have had kids and husbands too. It's yes. not like you have to choose.
0: It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Uh, this, no. What you're talking about resonates so strongly with me. When I, I felt pregnant with my first daughter while I was working as an actor, I was 26 and I, we are married now, but we we didn't know each other very well. It was very quick. Let's just say that. And my upbringing, although my parents had always been very supportive of whatever I wanted to do, there was always this feeling that I couldn't be a good mother and an actor. I couldn't be. And that the motherhood was the thing, the thing that had to take absolute all focus. And for me to want and try to do anything other than that meant that I was failing at motherhood. And I didn't know, and and yet all I wanted was for my luck, for my life was to be on stages and to, I guess, share my talent. For me, I'm, I'm great at speaking. I'm great on stage. I'm great with my voice, and that's all I wanted. I still wanted kids, actually, but that whole concept that society around me, family around me, couldn't see a pathway for me, and. And therefore I had, I had no knowledge of mindset work at all. I hadn't yet really encountered personal development. And I fell into this whole resentment and bitterness. I, I I love, I love my, my my little love baby. Of course I did, but I'm not able to be me. And I actually, that's been a really pivotal part of my journey and me stepping up into myself is realizing that I have these thoughts. These thoughts aren't truisms. These are things that for whatever reason, have been massive limiting beliefs for me. And actually, there are other models. There are women out there doing it all, having both, being great parents and earning a lot of money or being great parents and being an actor or whatever it is you want to do. But if you don't... And so what, I, what I'm feeling from you is that you've just noticed at a really young age when you're be, you've got these amazing political figures around you who are transforming your country And yet, the reality is there's a lot of bitterness. And I think there's the bitterness is so important. Yeah.
1: I got very frustrated and I made a couple of decisions. Besides the children part, it was for me, I would never let a man stop me. And uh, I had this guiding light through my relationships that if I felt that this was not a man that would support my dreams at some point that would end. Now, I didn't have a lot of relationship in my life. You know, I've had like three long-term relationships and the third one is a win. He is my biggest supporter and uh, actually was in my business for four years, but now he's doing his own thing. But yeah, so really I, I think that's where women also need to be very careful because when they pick a partner, they are somehow taking a bigger decision than when a man picks a partner.
0: Because that's that's deep. I'm I'm processing that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. because
1: of the children. You know, if you consider having children, some women will opt not for doing so. But when women have children, they need to have a partner that says, "Okay, I'll take half. You know, I'll I'll do my part, so that you can still yeah that you can still follow your dreams. Yeah, and not that the woman is just in the supporting role and. Women fall way too easily into the supporting role. It's, like, it's not just society, but you know, somehow generations. you know And if we want to break free of that, we need to step up and also pick a partner that will support us. And then I also decided to do something about this. What could I do? I knew I didn't want to go into politics, but uh, there was a seed planted that I will somehow, through my actions, words or whatever in the future, do something to change this. So we don't have more of these women around. Now, they exist still today, unfortunately, but, and this has led me to move to Germany, 19 years old with one suitcase and live there then for eight years, you know, study architecture. And then also, Being okay with deciding, hey, I don't want to be an architect, but I'll finish my degree. Moving on to Switzerland for a year on a scholarship. Also, again, with one suitcase and and following that dream of like, who knows what's out there for me? Let's. Mm -hmm. And it hugely opened up my eyes. It was a very unique study that I did for a year, a mixture of computer science and architecture. And that one year also completely changed my perspective in so many ways. And then deciding to go back to Iceland because I'd lost both my grandmothers and following the dreams as they come. Now, of course, if you have a family, at some point, you will not just hop hop to a new country with a suitcase. And I I don't do that. I've got the school run to do. (laughs) (laughs) But it's more about like my dreams are as valid as my partner dreams Mm. And if I have a dream, I share it with my partner. And if there is a possibility to make it happen, we'll make it happen. And it's just like putting your dreams, giving them a priority because it's never time, money or skills. It's just some limiting beliefs in your head that are stuck there and telling you, you can't do
0: it. So true. So true. We, as I, so, as I mentioned earlier, my, my early years of being a mother I so strongly believe that that was everything I had to focus on. And it led to a place where I was full of a lot of bitterness. We have a wonderful shift then in our marriage where actually my husband now fully, whatever I want to do, I want to go and do it. And I, I get that full support. But I also still like to be here for the school run. So sometimes for me, I'll have opportunities that come up where I can and do a talk in Germany or, 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 in the US or whatever. And I have to really go back and think, well, which one actually is my dream, which one actually at core is the one I'm going to feel really great about doing. And I think that that's, that's a work in progress. But we're we're at the other end of parenting now where I'm starting to be able to see, well, it's not actually that long until the children move home. And then many of the bigger things that allow me to travel the world and the country more, that's the time I'm going to enjoy them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, even if uh,
1: my stepchildren now are 16 or 17, so... (laughs) They don't want to hang out with me so much anyway, <laughs> but I, I dedicated a lot of time to them in the earlier years and uh, even stepped in when an au pair suddenly left <laughs> without a notice. So uh, the mother needed help and I stepped in and took care of them. And that's the choice. And that can also be your dream. Mm. But the thing is, you you don't have to sacrifice all your dreams because you have children or a spouse, so, uh, true. but you can make both things happen for you.
0: And I think particularly right now, particularly in the last 10 years, even eight years, even five years, even since the pandemic began, there are more opportunities for women to build businesses, to do things that matter to them around everything else going on in their lives that might matter to them in whatever way. And that's something that you really help people to do, Sigrid, isn't it? So let's talk about how you you get people who Realize they have a dream, they want more, they want it, they're hungry for it. What does it really take then to get to that that six figure mark in a business when you're making it happen for yourself?
1: My goal is to really get women to a million dollars. But I know that in the beginning, that seems so outrageous, so far away, dream that we've got to start in baby steps. And the first step is to really start to think about a scalable business. You know, a lot of women start one-on-one. I did that too, one-on-one coaching. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter what you're doing, if you're helping someone with their podcast or if Mm -hmm. you are a copywriter or you do suing courses or whatever, you typically start with a fewer people and then you scale up. And I really kind of, we need a mindset shift around that scaling up means more work because Mm -hmm. actually it's the other way around. Once you've got scalability in your business, once you can teach 20 people at the same time or 200 people at the same time or 2,000 people at the same time, your workload goes down. But it's having that shift that this actually works for me. So in my first program, the first step, I really uh, help them define their ideal client, get their message through and create a free four-week course. And I think that's where my teaching is very different from others. There's a lot of people out there teaching how to create a course or how to scale up your business. And uh, I created my first scalable program in 2017. I had been three years in business and I was like doing one-on-one and doing groups. And I was like, where's my scalable program? Where's my Mm. signature program? And so in 2017, finally created it. And it, it was like a 12 month, 12 module program. And I was so happy that I had this program and clients were signing up and they were having success. And then one and a half years in, I had a wake up call. There is more people could be successful with this program. What What are they doing? What What's happening? I I don't see them doing the things that I hope they would do. So typically, ten percent of people complete online courses.
0: Mm. She's so low. When it's you think low. the reason people have signed up in the first place is because in that moment they are hundred percent committed to getting the result that the course promises.
1: Yeah. And then only 10% finish because most courses are not designed in the way to get them to finish. Like there's all this resistance that comes up or limiting beliefs mm-hmm. or, or, or something, I don't know, something happened in your personal life and you forget that you signed up for a course and you don't continue. And uh, 10% will never do anything. So we just got to accept that no matter how perfect our course is, there's going to be 10% that do nothing. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be ten percent that always are going to be doing amazing, even if they have very little support. Mm-hmm. So it's the eighty percent that we have to think about as course creators, as people helping people create a business or anything else. And the eighty percent need handholding and they need accountability and they need to kind of that push to be go forward. And so after one and a half years of running my program, I realized they're not doing the things that I hoped they would do. So I decided to have a challenge or a course within a course. So they didn't have to pay anything extra. I just said, hey, okay, now we are going to, you're going to create a course. It's going to be free. It's going to be four weeks. And they're like, why is it free? And why is it four weeks? And I said, just trust me. So I got them to create free four-week courses. I had 126 people do this the first time I did it. And uh, they were like, maybe 250 in the program. So it was about half. And I would also market these courses and help them get signups. And the results were absolutely amazing. People suddenly made 10,000 in eight weeks and they had not done anything the six months prior to me announcing this course or this challenge. What do you think the difference was then? What was the difference? It was also this kind of, what I say, collective, like this group pressure of participating in this and then positive group pressure of not falling behind and not being the one that steps out. So every two weeks or so, we check in and have people fill out a form and make sure they're actually doing the things they should be doing. And I also started to teach differently. Before I would teach very detailed, I teach a lot, the background, explain everything. And I decided, nope, I'm going to approach this completely differently. You're going to get very little information just at the time you need it, not more, not less. So there is, of course, a lot of questions that comes up, especially the perfectionists people. Mm-hmm. They, they were like, ah, what do I need to do next? Then why do I need to do that? Just trust the process. So my now I've been doing this for several years and the videos are short, five minutes, 10 minutes. And it's just really the minimal. We have too much information. That's a problem. That's why so many get stuck and overwhelmed. So I decided to go the other way. Less is more. They just get the information they need and they just need to do this piece this week and this piece, uh, that next piece, next piece. So I am not teaching them upfront how to create a course. I'm teaching them what they need to do that week in order that the results will be a course. So, and the reason for a four week course, basically I wanna get people to results in the shortest amount of time. So, if the course was six or eight or 12 weeks, the program would just have to be so much more longer. And that would make everyone super tired, not just me, but also the participants. So, but four weeks is kind of the minimum length of a course you can create. Anything shorter would be just a challenge. And free, because we want lots and lots and lots of signups. And we have different. People in the program. We sometimes have people who are very experienced and they're like, Why should I do this for free? Yeah. And I said, Well, this is very normal when you create a new program. Why not have beta testers go through it? And you will create the program with them and you will get their feedback. So yeah, you could charge for it, but then I will not promote it for you. So then you're also not a part of this yeah, collective. collective. This, this, yeah. And uh so you you get everyone kind of doing the same thing at the same time, and there is this you know, and it's wonderful energy and everyone. And then I had this great idea at the end. I was creating the program as I was creating it the first time, just the same way I teach mm-hmm. others to do it. So at the end, I was like, okay, now they've created a free 4 week course. People are very happy. They got feedback and testimonials. They can sell this program in the future.
0: Let's do an upsell.
1: And that's where the money comes in. So people are like, oh, I'm not selling the course I created. I said, no you're selling to the people who participate in the course. They already like
0: your work. They're already bought in. You've already delivered massive
1: value. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the first stage that people go through that if they haven't any scalable programs, I have them do this first. And then I have a group coaching program where I take them to 10,000, then 20,000. But what is so important, and that's why this step is better than going straight into a higher program, is the belief. To me, at the end of the program, I see people make money. I see people being happy with their courses. But the most important part is that they believe in themselves. And that is something that no one can take away from you. Money comes and goes. But when you have a belief in yourself, you know, one client phrased it this way. Now I know how to make money. So even if I lose everything, I can just make more.
0: -hmm. And it's really, it's such a wonderful feeling to know that you understand the mechanisms, the processes, but most importantly, the trust in yourself that it's going Mm -hmm. to be okay. So you might have a launch that doesn't work so well. Maybe you have a dry period. Maybe you're out of work for a couple of months because of family or health, but you know that it's coming because you know you're capable and it's just sitting there. uh, And absolutely, it's that trust in yourself, the trust in your own know how, the trust in your ability that. Is the reason that we see some people stagnate and some people excel exponentially? Yeah. What was the point for you then that you realised? Because you've been in you've been in the online space for about eight eight years or so now. Is that right? Like years. Yes. That's that's quite a long time in the online space. What was the point at which you realised this is really something? This is really an area where I can excel, where I can exceed. I think I had that
1: quite early. So the first year was a lot of spaghetti thrown at the wall. I so wish I had my own programs back then for myself. I didn't really get like I came, I had been a CEO for 10 years. And so I come into this thinking, oh, this is just a new company, no problem. (laughs) And I had to learn a completely different way to attract people. And when I made the first sale online, I, I knew I was onto something, but I didn't know it would be so big as it is. Then I started to collect email addresses. I was pretty good at that. But I didn't know how to make a proper offer. Then I finally hired a business coach. And and wish you'd done it earlier, as everybody. I wish ever I would have done, done it earlier.
0: Wish every person early.
1: will say that. <laughs> and and back then one on one was very much in, but I gotta say you don't do that today. Like group coaching programs are the best. You get you get the best of both worlds. You get the coach and you get the other members and the
0: community and the, the community. Yeah, so I
1: don't even recommend doing one-on-one. But yeah, so it was when I made $55,000 in 3 months. At the end of my first year, I hadn't made a much money before. I think 17,000 in 9 months and then I made 55,000 in 3 months. I was like, "Oh, what is this?" Like I'm onto something here. I've cracked the code. I get it. Uh, and uh, I knew that I could make this work. I was not thinking about the million yet because I thought that was different people. That's like mm-hmm. the others. That's not me. So I was just trying to get to 100,000. I thought yeah, 200,000 would be great because you know then I'm earning more than I ever have earned as a, as a CEO before. And... When I got to 164,000 in my second year of business I was like I can double this again next year and then I made 340,000 and then I was like ooh the million is around the corner because
0: your self belief has come with you every step yes. of the way I can yes. remember early on in my business just thinking one day I'd like to be someone who makes a hundred thousand in a year, and that would be mind-blowing amounts of money. I I trained as an actor, we have no cash. I specialized in theater. So the concept that, that one day I could get there, and then I get there, and then I get there, and then I and and it's that it's not it's never that everything becomes easy. It's not that. And I'm sure that you've had many ups and downs in your business life and and things, but Once you get to a certain level, you know, you can do more, you know, you can double it, you know, you can increase on it because the processes are actually just the same and more. And actually the more support, the more money you make, the more support you can have in your business. And so you do get to a point where you can take time out if you want to and, you know, do the other things that that actually make a really great life. And I think
1: that's uh, the difference, you know, when I look at how I teach my clients versus my path is that I did one-on-one for quite some time. I did group coaching for quite some time. It wasn't until my fourth year of business that I had a scalable program. And then I was able to triple my revenue in one year and I crushed the million. I teach my clients to create multiple programs within a year. So now I'm seeing people go to six figures in four months. I am seeing a woman who started one and a half years ago. She's making 400,000 already because you can speed up the process. Because I didn't have that support. I hired a business coach to teach me how to launch. And then I taught me how to launch. I kind of like, yeah, I don't need you anymore. You can learn a way to scale up things.
0: And as you said, once you've understood and you've got the programs, once you have the progress, and I see so many people get so tied up in I've got an idea and it's got to be perfect and I've got to have prepared everything or they've got programs that they're not promoting they're not doing anything with and you think well you've got all these incredible assets but you've got to get them out into the world I say do it messy yeah just get on with it and that's that's hard for perfectionists
1: and I'm a recovering perfectionist myself but Uh, When I create a new program and I still, even last year, I created a new program. I do it messy. I just open up a Facebook group and I go live with my content. There's no teaching platform, nothing. Because I'm creating something new. Why would I do it perfect
0: and I have to redo it all again next next time anyway? Because you will, because you'll learn, you'll grow, you'll change, you'll tweak. And if you've got the perfect version, then that becomes a headache to change. So I know I know that you you're now you have a free assessment, don't you, to help people work out what the next steps are for them. Um, So tell us a little bit about that, Sigrun.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I truly want to help women get to six figures and multiple six figures, and eventually plant a little seed so that they will start to believe. Could be you. (laughs) Could be you that makes the million. So yeah, I'm offering a personal assessment. Uh, you fill out a form with a few questions and then one of my coaches will reach out and have a chat with you and tell you what steps you need to take to get to the next 10K k month
0: or 20K a month. Or if you are beyond that, how do you get to the million? And we're going to make sure that wherever you're listening to this, we've got the link for that in the show notes to so go and check that out. Well, I think today, Sigrun, I had no idea we were going to be talking about Icelandic politics um, (laughs) from from 30, 40 years ago. And it's interesting, isn't it? The things that happen around us in our formative years can really influence the decisions we make about how we show up in the world. What would you say now to that 16-year-old girl who's visiting those women in their 40s and 50s? I know you've recently turned 50. I hope that's okay to say that. never quite know what (laughs) would you say to that 16 year old girl you will change the world i think we've got some big things coming from you sigrin and i'm excited to watch thank you so much for coming on the show today guys if you have enjoyed the show i really really enjoy sigrin's podcast the sigrin show again that's going to be in the podcast and the show notes so go and check that out thank you so much for coming on today sigrin thank you so much for having me anna take care